0: I want to talk for a moment about Ephesians chapter 2 because Ephesians 2 really summarizes why we're doing what we're doing this morning. What is it that takes place in baptism? I mean, 2,000 years after Christ has died, resurrected, and ascended to the Father, the church is still doing baptism. Why is that? Well, it's because, first of all, Christ. Said that we should, we must. He commanded us to do so in the Great Commission that we're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them all things that He's commanded. But the reason that baptism specifically is the ordinance that God has given to the church is because it's a visible representation of something that's already happened spiritually in the life of these individuals. There in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we have a beautiful summarization of the gospel, of what it is that God has done. And really, we see four aspects of the gospel here in these first four, 10 verses. In the first three verses, we see our lives before Christ. Look at how it describes a person before coming to Jesus Christ. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It describes each of us as those who are separated from a holy God because of our sin. We have all chosen to rebel against God sinfully. And therefore, because he is holy and can't have sin in his presence, we are separated from God. But not only that, notice how it describes us that we were children of wrath at the end of verse 3. We were children of wrath. What does that mean? It means that we were guilty before God. And what we had earned for our sin was the wrath of God. We deserve the judgment and punishment of God for our sin, which the Bible says is to be separated from God eternally in hell. That's what our sins earned for us. Every single person fits into that description before coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But the second aspect of the gospel that Paul describes here is in verses 4 to 7, and that is God's work of salvation. Look at those first two words in verse 4. But God. We were helpless. We were trapped in our sins without any way to bring ourselves to God. The Bible says you can't be saved by good works. You can't make up for your sin by doing good things. And so in order for us to be saved, it was going to require God to act on our behalf. And that's exactly what Paul says has taken place. But God. And notice the characterization of God. What motivated him to act, to take pity upon us, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Therefore, Paul says, by grace you have been saved. What's happening in the salvation of an individual is not merely an intellectual decision. That's part of it. But what the Bible says, what really happens is that person goes from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's why we practice believer's baptism by immersion, because it's that visible picture of exactly this reality. That person has died to sin and been raised to new spiritual life by the power of God through Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. How is it that God rescues his people from their sins? Well, he sent his own perfect son who was fully God and took to himself true and full humanity. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life without sin and then offered his life on the cross as a substitute that is in the place of sinners to take the wrath of God upon himself so that his people would never have to experience it. And then the Bible says, on the third day, he rose again from the grave, proving who he was and that God the Father had accepted his sacrifice. That's why in verse 4, Paul can interject that God has has reached out and done this wonderful work through his son to save his people, through the preaching of the gospel. Even 2,000 years removed from Christ, through the preaching of Christ, God is bringing to new life those who repent and believe. Amen? What a joy to know the gospel is real. Christ is still redeeming and building his church. The other third aspect of the gospel is the response of faith. The response of faith in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Every single person who comes to Christ must not only hear the gospel, but respond to that gospel in faith. What is faith? The Bible uses that word, faith. Well, let me tell you first of all what faith is not. Faith is not merely a mental agreement with a list of facts. It begins there. There are facts you must know. You must understand that you're a sinner. You must understand that Jesus came, lived and died in your place and rose again. You must understand and believe that. But more than just saying, okay, yeah, I believe that. Genuine faith, according to the scriptures, is to put your full and complete trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is my only hope of salvation. It involves a turning from sin to follow after Jesus Christ. That's why we often say repentance and faith. That's because a true faith is a repenting faith. It says, I not only believe these things about Jesus Christ, but I want to turn from living for myself and my own sin and put my trust in him as the Lord of my life. That's what it is to have true, repentant faith. That's the idea here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And just in case you think that that faith is a work of your own, listen to the text, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. When he says but God in verse 4, he means God did it all. He provided what was needed to pay for our sins and then in his grace, he even gives us the faith to respond to him. What a gracious God. And then finally, the fourth aspect of the gospel that's described here for us is the change of life the change of life that takes place in a believer. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We often say, and correctly so, that we are not saved by works. That is absolutely true. Paul's already said twice that we're saved by grace apart from works. So what is this in verse 10 that says that we are created for good works? Well, the true gospel, when it takes a hold of a person, when a person goes from spiritual death to spiritual life, there is a radical transformation in which they begin to live for Jesus Christ. Not in perfection, but in the direction of their life. They desire to obey him, to follow him, and to serve him. What Paul is saying here is that if you want to know, have I only had a mental assent to the facts of the gospel or has my life been changed, is to look for fruit in your life the fruit of obedience, the fruit of love for Christ, because he says we are his workmanship created for good works. Think of it this way How do you identify an apple tree? It has apples. You don't have to be an arborist, you don't have to know anything about plants to identify an apple tree because you walk up to it and lo and behold, it has apples. Now, think of this Is an apple tree an apple tree because it produces apples, or does it produce apples because it's an apple tree? It's the second of those. The nature of that tree is one of an apple tree, therefore, it produces apples. But visually, we know its nature by its fruit. So when we talk about examining yourself to see whether you're in the faith, and we say, do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Are you, do you love Christ? Are you walking in obedience to Him? We're not saying you're saved by works. We're saying if you have the nature of a true believer, the Spirit is in you and you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. So this morning, as we prepare our hearts to sing and to see these nine people be baptized, the challenge lays before you to examine yourself. Are you a true believer? Have you come to not only know the facts of the gospel, but to put your full reliance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, turning from your sin to follow after him? You're going to hear how God has produced that spiritual life in these nine, but it's my prayer that there'll be many more to follow from this room. If you're not in Christ, turn to him even this morning, and you will find him gracious to save. And if you're in Christ this morning, then celebrate with these nine, everyone that's been baptized, and commit to walking alongside them as a fellow believer, brother and sister in Christ, that we might walk arm in arm in following our Savior. Let's pray together, then the band is going to come and lead us in worship. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the clarity of your word. We're so thankful that the work of salvation that was impossible for us, you have accomplished in and through your son. That for all who come in response to the extension of the gospel by grace and true faith, willing to turn from their sin and follow Christ, there is immediate, full, eternal salvation. God, we thank you for these who have come to be baptized today. We thank you for what it represents. It doesn't represent anything about what they have done. It represents what you have done in miraculously bringing them to yourself through the gospel. We celebrate with them, but we celebrate most of all you, our Lord and Savior, who has not only made the way unto salvation, but who has sovereignly redeemed your people through the gospel. We praise you and worship you for you are worthy of this praise. Be with us now as we sing to your glorious name. It's the name of Christ we pray, amen.